The theme for the afternoon talk is the exploration of the constructed and I'll uh, try to give some explanation of uh, what I mean. Hopefully we have noticed and observed the degree that we abide again and again in a very constructed world and when you and I give uh, attention to our life to our past and to our present you just see how many formations or constructions that we live in we only have to turn our attention to the past and look at education how constructed it is we went we studied, there were certain themes and topics and subjects, there was huge amounts of information which was imparted to us, and all of that's had its impact and influence and it's helped to construct our thoughts, our knowledge, information, our viewing of things. There's been the constructions too of uh, uh, working life, and then the, the timetables to keep the rhythm, the uh, flow of the day. All that's given us a feeling of construction. As it were, we divide the day up. We can look at a retreat. It is also very much constructed. There is the beginning of the retreat, and we start off with this, and we take these steps, these practices, and we run through the whole of the day, and then come to the end of the day, and the end of the retreat, and or the gathering, and that formation, that which we have put together, that which we have constructed together, it just dissolves, and that is over with. And you and I, in our day-to-day life, we are, as it were, moving, sometimes intentionally and happily, and sometimes unintentionally and and unhappily, moving in and out of constructions. All relationships are a construction all the formations that we meet with each other. So here we are, living in this world, so much constructed around us, which you and I participate in, you and I contribute to, and we have as well all the constructions that make up our mind, our thought, our views, our perceptions, our, our ideas, our interpretations. And we say, understandably, Wow, this whole world is incredibly constructed. And even in the looking outside of those forms that you and I have made together, whatever we look at, we say, look, it's come together, it's formed together, it's, it's constructed together. And every little item, take it apart, take a bicycle, take it apart, and it loses its construction. We put it together, we call it a bicycle, we call it a candle, we call it a watch, we call it a tree, we call it a flower, whatever. So life seems to be a constant field of activity, of constructions. And, And everything that you and I see, hear, smell, taste and touch is a construction. It's formed together. It's required lots of circumstances to bring it together. So not surprisingly, not surprisingly, we think, well, the world is constructed. 
We're not giving any, because it's a speculation, first cause to it. Either, call, either called God, one of the more popular ones, or science, Big Bang. We're not giving a first cause to the constructions. We're saying, this is the world which appears to us and is constantly being confirmed through all our senses, through the formations of mind, through the formations of feelings and emotions, and all that says to us, this is the real world. And we, therefore, we are relying on what our mind tells us is the real world. The real world is regarded as the constructed. And you and I, we have our ups and downs according to what's being constructed. And this we wish to look at. In Dharma teachings, the word illusion is very rarely used. It's a problemaya, M-A-Y-A. It's a problematic word in Dharma teaching. It's problematic because with one sweep of the hand, one could say, as some will do, in some tradition, oh, it's, oh, the constructed, the formed. Since it dissolves, actually it's all an illusion. But in Dharma teachings, an illusion is something totally false. A holy cow flying through the air, or a less than holy cow flying <coughs> through the air. Horns on a rabbit's head. If you see horns on a rabbit's head, it's an illusion. If you see a cow flying through the air, it's an illusion. And, and the other one, no offence to Christianity, the son of a virgin. It's an illusion, it's false. And in the constructions, the word which is used, not calling it an illusion, it says it's mundane. It's mundane to impart true reality to all of these constructions. It is not saying it's an illusion, it's false. We create it. It's just saying it's mundane. And yet, with the mundane, we have to attend to it. With the mundane, we have problems with it. With the mundane, we had difficulties. Yesterday, we uh, listened to wonderful talk from Vrada, and she can say with more authority than people like me, she can say, I'm a psychotherapist, but the Dharma goes deeper. Put it into the Dharma language that I am saying, no offence to the psychotherapist here, is essentially psychotherapy deals with the mundane. Dharma also has to address it as well because of the problems with the mundane. Unhappiness, confusion, conflict, fear, anxiety, terror, worry, anger, unresolved problems. It's all in the field of the everyday. And it has to be addressed. In this addressing uh, uh, of this, in our um, uh, exploration of, of this, 
and with the constructions of the mind that take place and refer to it you and I know how important it is at times to, so to speak, step out of the constructions. Some of us, the constructions could be, for a period of time, living in the West. Sometimes we are not sure whether we're going to something or getting away from. Sometimes intentions are a little mixed. I know sometimes as a one who likes jogging, running, for example, some of my Dharma friends from time to time will see me out jogging in the streets of Totnes in South Devon, and one of them will shout out, What are you running away from, Christopher? <laughs> so in my small world, I'll say, I'm running. So sometimes it's hard to know what the movement is there, and some of us, we have got tired of all the constructions that make up our life. Sometimes we rebel against them. Why? Why is it that just living in the field of constructions, formations, and the identification that goes with them, why is it? Sometimes we're tired of that. Sometimes we want to be out of that construction, whatever it is. Is it, could it possibly be that something else is appealing to us? We know not what, but we might feel or sense the limitation of the construction. No matter what it is. Why is it that a human being, in any kind of role or activity, must, M-U-S-T here, must at some point wish it wasn't like this. Whatever it is, no matter how lovely and sublime it is, you, you find the lovely home, you've, you've got the perfect relationship, the nicest possible neighbours, which is a rare species, I know. Um, all the things that one would like, there with health and whatever it, it may be, and everything in the constructed world seems to be so good, so lovely, so pleasing, so satisfying, and yet cannot, by its nature, be totally fulfilling. Why is that which is formed together, which may fit harmoniously all of our dreams? All those things which we thought I would really love to have, or to be with, or to secure, itself, in the formation of it, at times, hopefully not too regularly, but at times, there will be some, what this world would call dukkha, in the formation, in the construction, in what is achieved. Why? Why is it that the self cannot be fully satisfied with the formed. Because it's mundane. Period. It's mundane. One may not know what is not mundane. The word in Dharma language is called, well, a strange word, super mundane. 
It's beyond the mundane, not mundane. One may not know what is not mundane, but sometimes for some, the knowing of what is mundane is the start to finding out what isn't mundane. Even if you don't need a psychotherapist. Even if you have a natural sense of well-being. Even if you are regarded inwardly and outwardly as an emotionally well-adjusted, integrated, harmonious, nice, wise, calm, steady, lovely, this species is getting rarer, I know, a human being, nevertheless, something in the formed isn't utterly fulfilling. There is something about human beings which cannot be satisfied with the constructed because it's limited. Because it's limited. And unfortunately, there is a perversion that goes on for us in which we seek the limitless but the perversion, the distortion for the limitless can go different directions. For some, the, the search for the limitless is called money. I want to be rich. I want to have a load, a load, a load, a load, a load of money. And no matter what the sum is, there's always a wish it was more. Because the mind can't be content with the limited. And it's searching for limitless, or for another, or for some, for some of you here. Bless you. It may not be money. It could be experiences. And we can have a whole variety of experiences. And there's a boundless number of them. But each experience, which is no matter how beautiful and lovely it is, it's constructed. And the proof of its construction is it will go. And in the variety there, you're sitting in the chai shop. And someone says to you those dreaded words, Have you been to? <laughs> And immediately eyes and ears pop up. And then you say, no. <laughs> and she or he says, I have. <laughs> and then she or he says, it was brilliant. It was just great. And when I was there, I saw this, I heard this, I tasted this, I touched this, I smelt this, and, um, <laughs> and I experienced this. And, and this is how it happened, this is what unfolded, this was the construction in that particular time and place. And immediately, the poor devil who is listening to this, thinks, I am missing something. <laughs> There's something lacking in my life. 
how do I get to Asigat? <laughs> or wherever it might be. I want that experience. I feel something is missing, and if I get that experience that she had or he had, then once I've had that experience, wow, I'll have that ex- same experience that she or he had. But then that experience of Asigat, it fades away, it, dis- it dissolves. Then you're sitting in the chai shop in Asigat. <laughs> this is how people get round the world, you know. <laughs> so the idea, the influential idea, the formation, the construction in the mind is something is missing, this experience will stop the idea that something is lacking, something is missing. So I go from an absence of construction, an absence of experience, an absence of tasting, touching, smelling, feeling, experiencing this, to it, experiencing it, it goes away and it fades away and there is still one is left with absence. But as a great statement. The world is imprisoned, he said to notions and ideas of existence and non-existence, of experiences and absence of experiences. We are imprisoned into this. And the whole life can be going, experience, non-experience, experience, non-experience, non-experience, experience, finishing, new experience, starting, new experiencing, finishing. And it's all in the realms of constructions. And then we ask ourselves, is this it? Am I an experienced junkie? There are a few in the hall here. There's a few, oh, hands are already going up. <laughs> I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> Sometimes, in the looking, in the uh, inner life, with what we call the inner and the outer, If we're not clear, to use a rather charged word for a moment, if we're not clear, we get into the difficulty of the inner and the outer. And one of the very common uh, ways that that happens for us is with the whole notion of authority. Of authority. And it seems to me, you may perceive the same, that there is a kind of pendulum swing that goes on with authority. Yeah. And it's one of these areas which seems to me really needs addressing much more deeper than what has been, what tends to happen. What I mean by this is, according to tendency, according to how the inner life is formed or shaped, sometimes the movement of authority very easily goes outwardly. Outwardly. And in its going outwardly, it will go to some kind of source or resource. That may be the person. Maybe. One has to be very, very careful with this one. Are we implanting, as it were, transferring authority to the person? 
Dharma is not so interested, it's a bit tough, but not so interested in the person, the persona. It is interested in the Dharma. It's a different shift. That's why, in the best sense of the tradition, teachers are only friends. Teachers are good friends, but they're friends. Not a, a tradition of devotion. It is not a tra- tradition of guru worship. In its best sense, not a tradition of masters and followers. Because it's a misplaced movement of authority. Sometimes the authority rests and lies in the book. This too is a misplaced authority. So, let's blow this out, dries the throat a bit. We forget in the construction which is called the book, whatever the book is, whatever the book is, I couldn't care less if the book is 3,000 years old, 5,000 years old, or is hot off the Varanasi press yesterday afternoon. It's still a book. Never was anything more nor less. What is the relationship of the human being has with the book? Some people dismiss new books and rely on ancient texts. The Pali texts, the Sanskrit texts, the yogic texts, the Buddhist texts. Uh-huh. Some people rely upon contemporary books, find them more readable, an easier commentary, let us say, in the essence of those older books. Some, some of us, have an interest in both. But one thing is for sure, in the construction called the book, the reader imparts the authority. There's no authority in a book. It's just a book. It's words on paper. When in the relationship to the book, in that construction, there is the reader, you, me. There is the activity, it's called reading. There is the object, which is called the red the reader, the reading and the read are all formed, they're all constructed together. And some people, as we know, religion, it's been the curse of religion, it's been the, the wretched virus of religion, is for the human being, who is the reader, to impart authority in some absolutist way to what is read. And with what is read comes the interpretation. Hence, cults, sects, orthodoxy, ultra-orthodox, ultra-ultra-orthodox, and ultra-ultra-ultra-ultra-orthodox in all the religions, the liberals, the conservatives, all based on the view of what's interpreted often from what is read. Whoa, whoa, nightmare. The human mind gives authority. The book doesn't. The human mind gives it. And if we are to explore and look into the the reader and the reading and the read, then it's rather important 
for you and I to see what we make of the red. It's not the red that matters. It's in the total construction does some insight emerge from the dynamic which frees us up. Therefore, the reader, the reading and the read have no inherent importance. It's what comes out of it. Does some truth emerge out of the constructed? That's going to take some meditation from us. It's going to take some wise reading from us. It's going to take a a contemplative life. Because the same words can touch us at different times. It's constructed. It's the same with language, with words. Some people say, some people say. Um, Truth or reality or whatever is outside of the words. Got nothing to do with words. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If that's the case, why don't I sit here and read a cookery book? Why don't, I, why, don't I, why don't I go and buy a copy of the Times of India and read to you on Sunday all those fascinating proposals of marriage which are going on in the <laughs> classified advertisements? So if truth is totally outside of the words, it's totally outside of the language, which is like, oh, you can't speak about truth. There are no words for truth. If it's totally outside then all the words are totally irrelevant. You can talk about anything. Because truth has got nothing to do with language. But if one swings and says, ah, oh, I see, truth is in the words. Well, I want to know which words. <laughs> which words communicates the truth? Which words are lies? Which words are false, and which are the words which I can't make up my mind about? Well, human being says, truth is outside of the words, we're in a mess. Words are totally irrelevant, totally meaningless. If we say truth is in the words, we're in another mess. Because we want to know quickly which words. I'll take them. <laughs> They're truth. <coughs> where the leading goes, where the tendency goes, where the movement goes, we find ourselves in a bit of a corner with it. The reader, the reading and the read. Truth and words, truth and language. We look and we say, okay, I get it. No external authority. No point in relying on external authority because it's just a dependency. We don't need gurus, we don't need Dharma teachers, we'll make them unemployed, thank you very much. And we'll, um, because it's all, all of external authority. 
if we make the other shift, we're also in a little bit of a difficulty with authority. Because sometimes when we make the shift away from the external authority, we easily say, okay, I'm going to rely on my own authority. We've done that. Look at the mess we're in. I know, I'm going to make my own mind up. I know what to do. I can see clearly. I'm going to rely on my own mundane tendencies. <laughs> They've got me into a huge amount of trouble in the past and um, I'm going to rely on them because they can continue to make my life miserable. If I rely on my own authority, there, sometimes it works well for us. And sometimes we've relied on ourselves and whoa, what a mess we got ourselves into. We didn't have the wisdom. We could have closed our eyes and sat on the meditation cushion or lain prone half dead in the horizontal posture <laughs> or, what, or whatever it was. <laughs> Those are the horizontal posture laugh. <laughs> laugh loudly. Did you notice that? <laughs> and we... And we can find ourselves in that, and we, when we can, in a valid way, can ask ourselves, what is the authority within myself that I can rely upon? When do I know within myself what is true authority? And when do I know inside of myself whether it's just my problematic, reactive, unconscious, disconnected state. Who wants to rely on that? So even the shift from outer authority to an inner authority, neither are particularly reliable. Period. Now what? I always say, oh, you're right. We'll go to God. G-O-D. No inner authority, no outer authority. I'll just rely on God. I'll pray to God. Buddha had some tough, mildly ironic comment about this, which I, I rather appreciate. He said, someone says, I rely on God. I trust in God. I believe in God. I worship God. I, I turn to God. And the Buddha said, have you seen God? Uh, no. I mean, has God got any form or formulas? Have you seen God? No. Have you heard God? Has God have you heard God? Heard God? No. no. Have you smelt God, taste God, touch God? No. Has God come to you? And the Buddha said, it's like loving speaking to a man yeah? he said it's like loving woman oh I really love her so beautiful I've never met her <laughs> I don't know the colour of her ears the colour of her hair the colour of her eyes I don't know if she's tall sh short fat thin I don't know whether she's from a poor background or a rich background. I don't know how old she is or how young she is. I don't know what she does, but I'm totally in love with her. <laughs> what? 
So sometimes, in, in our struggling human, in human beings, outer authority, inner authority, external, above, transcendent authority, all seem somewhat problematic. Yet we construct to try to get to some truth about the way things are. Maybe there's no authority. Maybe authority is just one more construction that we have made to try to make sense of things. And the movement of the authority depends on the tendency of who you are. Well, maybe there isn't authority. Not inwardly, not outwardly, not above, nor below. Well, there. Nowhere to rely on. Oh dear. But perhaps in our humanness, in our uh, ordinariness, in our humility, in not having the constructions called authority, in not having the constructions called the reader and the read, in not relying on the formations, maybe, maybe, something else starts to open itself up. It has nothing to do with authority, nothing to do with the, the book, nothing to do with the form, nothing to do with the structures of the mind, nothing to do with where we are and having experience and not having experience. Nothing to do with any of that. Nothing to do with the constructed. Perhaps I shouldn't say this, but I was looking at a book today. <laughs> Gonna shoot myself in the foot, aren't I? All right. And I was trying to. Um, I think probably perhaps many of you know him, but realise. I, I remember years ago. Take a couple of steps back. I used to um, moan because English are very good at moaning. Um, moan at the lack of recognition and appreciation for the great creative and artistic tradition of India, both some recognition of music, you know, of course, there, but particularly in li literature. And it often struck me, struck me as every year, and again this year, we go to Motilal Binasidas, this great bookshop of Varanasi been open for about 104 years and they published lots and lots of books on religious, spirituals, uh, themes, Buddhist, Hindu tradition primarily but others uh, as well. And a whole tradition too of course in, in India which has finally been recognised in the last decade or so of novels, upsurge of creativity. So I was looking in a Buddhist book, commentary, on some aspects of the Buddhist teachings. 
And the uh, rather important and interesting he uses four words in the, in the wish and the quiet, shall we say, determination to, to free ourselves from all of these structures that we use them lightly and playfully lovingly but we don't bind ourselves into them called authority the book the form, the method, the technique the thought, whatever have a relaxed flexible at ease relationship with it all and then, and then the Buddha says when we look carefully and uh, fully attentively without all the extra forms metaphysical or in the immediate world he said there is and he uses this word tathata some of you have heard like tathagata and tathata it means there is this for want of a word suchness there is this thusness of things thus is how it is such how it is and out of this such how it is he says and all the dynamics of such how it is before you and I as it were have got our vested interest in it such how it is and then he says certain causes and condition, conditions hetu is the word for cause pachea uh, conditions come together and when all of these situations whatever the situation is come together you and I experience something as an event as a result I spoke about this a couple of days ago and makes this clear statement <coughs> forgive me for using a little authority here it's a clear statement that when these causes and conditions come together and you and I experience the event, the result the effect of it he said that there is a it is by necessity meaning it could not possibly be any other way put all the causes and conditions together which are whatever they might be and the outcome which has an impact on your life and my life when that outcome has arisen it has arisen completely dependent on the causes and conditions and he says it can't be any other way because everything was ready or ripe or, deter or uh, shaped or influenced or constructed and then this is how it is whatever it is so out of the tathata, out of the suchness of things different dynamics are going on they converge together and then the outcome is the actual outcome which could not be any other way because this is what brought it together to make it happen and we have to be very clear about this and he makes it even stronger to get the point across it will always be like this put everything together whatever the outcome and it couldn't be anything else because this made it happen and it's a great challenge but then one says to oneself in the midst, midst of all of this what is my responsibility? whoa this is one heavy duty question what is my responsibility 
for the causes and conditions which affect my poor little life in my little short yatra called birth to death. What is my responsibility in this? And this is where one's, how should we call it, awarenesses and clarity matter a great deal. Some will say, hmm, what should we, what will some say? I create my, my reality. I, since I make my own problems, therefore I have now to unmake them. Since I have learned to be like this, so to speak, now I have to unlearn being like this. For some, this is, this is where the delicacy is, for some, it may bring about an awareness which allows a ability to respond. I take responsibility for what happens with my life. I take responsibility for what happens with my life. And for some, for some of us, for some of you here, the willingness to really be committed, I take responsibility. All right. Brings about uh, an awareness, and it also it has a freeing up factor. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm not going to blame anybody. I'm not going to say anything to do with the past. If it's in any way implying somebody else is responsible for me. Not an easy thing to do. I'm not going to say somebody else is my hetu or pachea. My, the cause for my condition. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say anybody anywhere is responsible for how I feel. This is big time responsibility. We are going to need very broad shoulders if we are going to take total responsibility for who we are. Because if we do, we've got nobody to lay the fault at. We need broad shoulders for this one. And that may be a very important step in a waking up process. Maybe. If one hasn't got it right, if one is not clear in this way, you could be nailing yourself to the cross. And make what happened to Jesus like a picnic. You could be nailing yourself to the cross. It's all my fault. I have to take responsibility. The pressure, the stress, the weight it, of an exaggeration of putting all the blame on oneself and all the responsibility on oneself, move it in that direction and one will hate oneself. One will feel a lack of self-worth. One will feel no good. One will feel one has ruined one's life. So for one, taking responsibility is a mature 
way of looking. For another, the taking of responsibility is a terrible weight. We have to know ourselves what is what with this one. Very clearly. Back to the authority a little bit. Sadaputra. Much loved, close, good, intimate friend of the Buddha. I think it was Sadaputra. By the way, I don't think there are any tigers in Africa. I think they're lions. Yeah, yes, right, right. <laughs> Mind you, one could still end up as Italian pie. <laughs> and um, <laughs> where do I go from the subject? I lost the thread. Yeah. So sometimes they look, and they say, with this area of uh, responsibility, and Saint Peter said to the Buddha. Am I responsible for everything that's happened to me? Is it I just have to take responsibility? It's just it's all that I've done and the mistakes that I've learned and the good things that have happened. Do I have to take responsibility for it? And the Buddha said, strong words, don't say that. So he then swings the other way. Well, if I'm not responsible, is it that others are responsible? All those people who have affected my life, who have come into my life, from the past and from the present, uh, come into my life, you know, in a way, if they made me who I am, do I have to say, therefore, they are the head to, they are the cause. They caused me to be like this. Don't say Is it both? Some of it is me and some of it is others. But which bit is me? And which bit is the cause by others? Don't say both. Well, how am I to understand if the issues of life is not caused by me, not caused by others, not caused by a bit of me, and not caused by a bit of others. How am I to understand? That which arises is born comes from conditionality. Nowhere to point the accusing finger. That which arises comes from conditionality. It comes from the process of things. Still it requires wisdom. Great wisdom. Because a person could then say, Ah, oh, great. I'm off the hook. I'm not causing anybody any problems. I'm not causing myself any problems. Nothing to do with anybody else. Nothing to do, it's just conditions. So I'll just carry on in my miserable way. Making my life and other people's lives miserable because it's got nothing to do with self and other. It's just conditions. Whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
the pointing to the deeper truth is as we heard yesterday as well a deeper interest in causes and conditions that bring something about a deeper interest in this less interest in the construct called self and other greater interest in dependent arising conditions less interest in the construct called self and other let's say let, let, let's take a few examples you're having a, a communication with somebody we all know this one and it gets difficult you know don't meet some conflict in the words you get into an argument and a difficulty all part of being human I suppose and then we get reactive and in the reactivity we blame the other person you are like this you always do this you never do this you always say this you never say that etc the blame is the view that the other person is the cause but the other person isn't aware of causes and conditions but neither are we marvellous we're saying to the other person it's your fault you are like this we're not aware of the causes and conditions we're telling the other person it's yourself and it's our self our own ego is telling somebody else's ego to be aware we're not even aware that our ego is caught up in blame so how can one ego which is caught up in blame help another ego which is caught up in blame there's no history of its resolution blame does not end with blame blame ends with non-blame this truth is constantly with us and you know only, no, only too well we will ask others to be what we are not marvellous an extraordinary perversion a great misunderstanding we will ask others to be what we are not incredible transference projection idealizing when we're freeing ourselves up from the structures somebody made reference to this in, uh, earlier today rather important point some kind of opening shall we say begins to open up You and I may have preference for 
structures. We may like a rather serious intensive retreat. We may like the structure of a Dharma gathering. We may like the structure of sitting on the cushion or being in the horizontal posture. We may have these preferences, they're very small. More importantly than all the forms and the structures is sometimes there is a sense of space. This sense of space around structure is the intimation of that which has no structure. And that which has no structure has no birth. And that which has no birth has no change. And that which has no change has no death. And in that intimation of something spacious, which is a step towards, structure actually begins, like the wave on the ocean, to be a smaller feature of life. We are not deceived by what our eyes, ears, nose, tongue and touch tell us. We are not deceived by the constructions of the thought in the mind. We are not deceived by the <coughs> structures called the retreat, the Dharma gathering, the meditation method and posture, the formations or the role or authority, or all those structures, because they are so small. They are so small. And we're interested in that which is unstructured, unconstructed, which is not formed and therefore can't be limited. We're deeply interested in it. And the deeper the interest is, the more this is seen to be ordinary, mundane in comparison to. What an illusion. And the heart, in its richest sense, will move through into that space, naturally. The heart will move into that space and the heart begins to permeate all the forms. We call it love. It permeates the thought. It permeates the structures of the mind. It permeates the gathering, the uh, retreat, the education, uh, the relationship, the silence, the being with another. The, uh, in that space, not ultimate, but in that space, the heart of love <coughs> enters and it begins to permeate that rather small world that we live in. And it begins to intimate something which is utterly unconstructed. And because it's unconstructed, it's totally steady. And therefore the wave, which is waves which are small, rest in that which is the ocean. We're interested in the mundane, but we're profoundly interested in that which is not of the mundane. Stay awake. Stay awake.
May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see deeply into the nature of things. May all beings live a loving and liberated life.